0: Did you ever read that book, Birth, by Tina Cassidy? No. starts off with describing a machine. (laughs) This is so crazy. She describes a machine that is patented by a husband and a wife. So a woman was actually involved in this process, which blows my mind even more, where they're using centrifugal force... (laughs) to deliver a baby so they strap a woman on a machine and it starts spinning so quickly the idea is the baby just shoots out of her body due to the gravitational pull and is caught in a basket
1: (laughs) oh my god (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Lady Voice Podcast Dismantle the Patriarchy in Your Mind with Danielle and Jenny.
0: To me, really does summarize the, the ridiculous thought processes around birth as if this is something that needed to be improved upon for its own sake. I'm going back way back in 1716. So we have just freed ourselves from Britain here in the U S right. Midwifery is the primary care practice for women who are birthing and they have a 95% success rate. That's historically documented 95% success rate in maternal and infant outcomes. We have a major lack of care providers for women in this country. That's one of the main reasons cited for our low maternal health outcomes when being compared to 11 other wealthy countries. We're always at the lowest ranking. And it's because a woman is alone postpartum. That's the number one reason, which is incredibly sad.
1: It is really sad. You know, I think about like how all of birth is just this like movement through this portal, like literally, you know, and it's, it requires just like all of this expansion, contraction, expansion, contraction, expansion, contraction as like the pattern like that is the way that like birth happens like a baby moving through the body and like actually coming out and then i think about like you know interventions are are great in terms of like if we could think about them related more to, like outcomes like we want this to be a positive outcome but the interventions seem to mostly be in place to like reduce pain and to like make things move more quickly that doesn't align with this like movement, this expansion contraction through a portal process. Like you can't control that. And, and the interventions in place are like primarily to manage and control and pathologize. It doesn't, it's like, it doesn't map correctly. And so it oftentimes interventions like dramatically increase the problems that people experience while giving birth. We don't have care set up to like protect a person's experience. The talk that I had for my care providers was, could I handle this pain? Like early on, you know, the question is, can you actually handle this? You know, and instead of like the conversation being about like, how can we support you right now? that you can move with this process, you know, it was like, are you sure you can do this, you know, and like questioning a a birthing person's experience to like be in their own body. And I think that's where we're really like hugely missing the mark in this birth conversation is like, we have so much knowledge in our bodies that we're just dumbing down and repressing from all angles.
0: You're a doula. You went through doula training. I think that's an important uh, point to reference here. And in 2013, a study, and a very intensive study was done, and it found that doulas being present throughout the pregnancy, during birth, and postpartum greatly reduced negative maternal outcomes, and that it did have a very positive impact on infant outcome having someone present with you coming to your house to check up on you this is where most women start to have issues is they're alone in their house with a brand new person that they have zero education on how to take care of they have no idea what's happening and there's no one there with them to explain it we are very isolated in the US we do not have customs currently as a culture to support women who have had children. So if you're a person who's lucky enough to have ancestral customs that are still being implemented in your life with your family, that can be very beneficial. But for most people, most women, that's not what's happening for them. So they're alone. Their husbands had to go back to work. They're lucky if their mom comes and stays with them. And she is probably uneducated on what's happening as well, because there is a lack of education. The thing that was so important about midwifery is you're looking at generational transference of knowledge. So I think it's important to note that when the rise of our medical institution was occurring, women were seen as lesser, birth was viewed as Eve's transgressions. That is the foundation of our current medical practice. So you might be an individual practicing medicine and you don't personally believe this. There is still traces of this thought in your education and it's inescapable. And so you're looking at in the 1700s, this idea that midwifery is witchcraft. So we start pushing women away from those who would actually help them. And men at this point in time weren't really involved in birth because it was obscene to be involved in a birth. Women start birthing alone. You start to see this trend across the country and midwifery starts to get very suppressed. It never totally goes away, but there is a point in time where midwifery is actually something that can be prosecuted by law if you're caught practicing, which is really intense and it totally goes underground. Luckily, a group of women in the South early 1900s start pushing and advocating for midwifery to be a thing. It really takes off in California in the 70s. In the 70s is when this big movement starts. Let's demedicalize birth and demedicalize death. These are two things that are not medical issues necessarily. They can be, but they don't have to be. The women's movement, the suffragettes, women start pushing for Equal rights, there's still belief that birth is something women are being punished for. The first doctor that used ether on a woman for humanitarian reasons, he can't bear to watch her suffering. But mind you, she's put into a position that generates more suffering. She is laying flat on her back with her knees in the air, and he is standing with a towel over his head, trying to not look at her vulva as he delivers her baby (laughs) like the women's movement starts pushing for pain-free childbirth as a right like this is a woman's right to have a pain-free experience like we don't need to suffer any longer in this arena and in germany early 1900s the twilight birth scene starts happening and in germany twilight birth is A drug is administrated to a woman in a very low dose and it puts her into a very tranquil sort of hallucinogenic state. She's very relaxed and it disconnects her from all sense of pain in her body. And she has a nurse with her the entire time. Every woman that goes through twilight birth in Germany at this time has a nurse with her the entire time. And the nurse is constantly monitoring her progress, administering the drug as needed. And then this woman gives birth with no memory of ever having birth a baby. Ooh. And <laughs> what is wild? Twilight birth is wild. White women in the United States, like the upper class group of women that are suffragettes, discover this, lose their minds. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> we want that here right now. So Twilight birth comes to the U.S. And I believe it's like by 1938, 100% of births in the hospital are twilight births. This is crazy. But this becomes a woman's rights issue because there is a lack of care with twilight birth. So the most important part of twilight birth was the one-on-one interaction with a nurse to monitor you on this drug. And in the U.S., that's not available. The women get strapped down to their beds. And there's horrific video, horrific photos of women in this twilight state. They look terrified <laughs> because too much of this drug causes hallucinations, but you cannot remember it when you come off of the drug. So you're looking at like no memory. You can't remember anything that happened. So you come back to life essentially with a brand new baby. You don't know how I got here <laughs> and you're on your way, but you have strap marks on your arms you've been strapped down you've had your head strapped to a board you've been neglected you've just been left naked in a room for hours I mean it was like really brutal it was very abusive for most women but they can't remember it, it but were even there mind. years around that this was happening around uh 1938 100 of hospital births but this went on into the 70s I remember imagery of that Strap down. Yeah, it's really, it's actually really graphic, I think. Like it's, it's really, really horrible to look at. Yeah. You're taking something that maybe could have been useful, but putting it into a system that's already inherently flawed in how it's viewing women. And so it became something very abusive. The father of modern gynecology, this guy gets touted for this. This guy was a horribly abusive character, Jay Marion Sim birth it needs to be 100% managed there always needs to be interventions 100% of the time women should not be allowed to move into their evil nature to give birth so a woman actually birthing birth like moving her hips writhing about moaning like going through this entire process is way too sexual for this guy right it's evil so a woman needs to be subdued and maintained and that is still our most basic fundamental principles of gynecology most important and also the most brutal thing to know about sims is he performed all of these experiments on black slaves 10 black slaves and one woman in particular her name was Anaracha, she endured more than 30 surgeries and i just need that to sink in right now 30 abdominal surgeries without anesthesia because there was a belief that black people couldn't feel pain. 30 surgeries. Any woman who is listening to this, who has had a cesarean section, can you even begin to imagine not having pain medication while going through that procedure? It is so brutal. And he was so brutal to her. And we owe everything to this woman. Like, I think she should be in every birthing ward. It's unbelievable what she had to go through. He's like being compared to some of the Nazi uh, war criminals that were performing surgeries on the Jewish people. And it's right there. He's like right there with them. But he's the founder of modern gynecology, and his beliefs still infiltrate modern gynecology. And so again, an individual who's becoming a gynecologist may not inherently believe these things, but you are being taught a system based on these beliefs. And this is a very toxic viewpoint. And it's so toxic that it uses women's own internalized objectification against them and convinces them that they are lucky to have gone through this very abusive experience (laughs) because your baby's here and you're alive and your baby's alive. And I don't know how many women I've talked to personally that have had horrific abusive experiences in a hospital. And then when they tried to address it, they are so shamed and so shut down. And like, uh, is your baby there with you? Do you think you could have done better alone? One of the most horrifying moments I saw
1: as a doula in a birthing room was with a client I didn't know very well. She had like asked for a doula last minute. And so I went and, um, she had been in labor for probably about six hours. One, she was, she was working with like anxiety. You know, I think that's like super, I mean, having, being anxious about childbirth is like really common, mostly because like, we know nothing about it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Everything we know is like the medical information. There was a moment when her Baby's heart rate went up for a little while. This woman was like, this birthing person was like, she was really getting into her anxiety in that moment, like breathing through it, you know, just having a really hard time feeling really scared, you know, about her baby's well-being, and really terrified. And this doctor walked in, this female OB, walked in the room and she just said, okay, your baby's heart rate is up. We can do a cesarean right now. If we don't do it right now, we probably won't be able to do it for a long time because I have another cesarean scheduled in about one hour. So you need to make a choice right now. She is laying there on the bed, like hyperventilating as the doctor is giving her this like ultimatum sort of like now or never, like without really giving any information about what, what, what's going on. She's like really looking terrified obviously and I just so I looked at her because like being a doula is a really awkward position in the western medical society because you're not we're not entirely welcome you know we have to like ride a line of like appropriateness political correctness so that we're not kicked out of the room you know and so that everyone feels like respected so I remember like I felt like the best thing I could do at that moment was just like say hey like you can take a minute to think about this. And the doctor said, oh yeah, yeah, you can, you could take a minute, you know? And then she said, I'll be back in a few to check in on you and see what you want to do. So she left the room. And so then like my only goal <laughs> was like to help her get to a place of calm, to like slow down her breathing and to like get her back to like study. That's the part that's missing in, in this whole birth world is like, And that's the part that midwifery has done so well forever is the holding of space for the full human experience. One of the like main things that is talked about in like the midwifery doula conversations is like really understanding the difference between pain versus suffering in childbirth as like the heart, the heart of the conversation, because we're terrified of pain. Like we often equate it with suffering, but it's not. Like there are so many things like working in our favor in childbirth, biologically. You know, the pain, the pain is normal. The pain is essential to the whole birthing process. But like the suffering comes when we're terrified, when we're anxious, when we're not respected, when there's no space held for us, when we're not supported, when there's no one there listening to us. Like that's the suffering. It's not by default, like the pain of giving birth. Like that's that's right. That's that's the right kind of pain. And that can feel invigorating and powerful and empowering to move through that whole process. The suffering doesn't come from like that internal birther. I feel like the lady voice is such is so integrated into the birth world. It's like the internalized patriarchal voices. It's like we're turning on ourselves, you know. Like, demand of ourselves that we have a linear experience for something that is like so expansive. It's just like, it's so circular. It's so expansive and contractive. It has nothing to do with like a timeline. Timeline. It cannot. And if we can release the timeline, if we can release the rigidity, like, then we can move into the experience of it and like then birth is safer for ever for everyone you know it's when we have that like this rigidity the suffering and is caused and like people actually get injured like there's Mm -hmm. more death there's more injury there's more
0: trauma internalized objectification of women is this idea of women can't handle pain (laughs) this is like a very dominant thought process as the medical system that we currently use was being developed. There was an idea that white women, let me correct this, white women cannot endure any pain, zero. Black women don't feel pain and this is still in our medical system. And that is why black women experience two and a half times greater negative maternal outcomes in white women and it is inherent belief systems that are the root of that it is not because of lifestyle choices it is actually documented it is a lack of care a lack of listening a lack of awareness so you're looking at a system that believed women were inferior Believed women's only job. So, this idea started to really dominate the upper crust of our culture. Women's only job was to be domestic, these domestic, demure creatures. That was to be a lady. That belief system is still the foundation of this. I cannot say this enough. It is still the foundation of our experience. So, you get into a hospital. The moment you walk in that door, there is a clock on your birth, 12 hours. You have a 12-hour window to deliver your baby or you will be a cesarean section automatically. And that has nothing to do with outcome, everything to do with a doctor wanting a personal life. And I hear people say, well, that seems so reasonable. I mean, they're people. They should just be able to go home to their families. Well, fuck you, actually. You know, we need to come up with a better system.
1: Yeah, that's the point. Because that happened also in my own birth with home birth Mm -hmm. midwives, you know, Mm -hmm. it's the same same thing, you know, they were overbooked, didn't show up to my birth because they needed to sleep. And I know that I know they did. I know they needed their rest. Like it's people are humans. Like I get that. And So I think that like it is the problem is that like we live in this system that really doesn't support birth period, like in a bigger way. You know, it's, it's a lack like of so care thinner. providers.
0: Yeah. yeah. There is a, this is why we have the lowest outcomes. We have a lack of care providers. That's it. And it's also the reason we have a lack of care providers is because our medical system, like the system itself, is designed to have, we have one doctor, multiple nurses per woman, right? You could say there's a lack of doctors wanting to move into this as well, like per capita. And that is also true, but it's also a design within the system. (laughs) There is a push for home visitations, more midwifery training. Countries that have implemented this, they have higher positive outcome. And it's because there is a very heavy reliance on in-home midwifery. Midwifery is the default. Default. Not OB. Not OB, Not OB care. OB. Yeah. Yeah. And so the women who actually need an OB are getting an OB. <laughs> the most inefficient way a woman can birth is on her back with her knees in there because that collapses the pelvic floor, basically. If you think about what is happening anatomically with your knees up, everything compresses in. And so it actually makes the area for the baby to come through the pelvic bowl, a lot smaller. It's not optimizing the space. <laughs> you do need an intervention. You might need forceps to pull the baby out. You might need a vacuum. You might need all of these things. Where if a woman is allowed to birth in her like her primal, instinctual position, it will never be on her back. I think like it's the lowest percentage of women that will choose to birth on their backs they're usually squatting like number 1 or they're in tabletop as yoga calls it they're in on their hands and knees giving birth because that's the most open that part of your body can be that's how that was that was my position so i labored for 16
1: hours and i um i mean my midwives came for the last 30 minutes and they had asked me to hold my baby in and <laughs> like to not push so they could get there in time. Ow. How? How <laughs> are you supposed to do that? It's like, yeah, no, I know, I know. <laughs> now that I'm like, when your baby's coming, your baby's coming, you know. But they're like, breathe the baby up, you know. And I'm like, this is so, <laughs> this is so fucked up, you know. But you're in this vulnerable state. I had moved downstairs into this like. Big birthing pool. I've been in the bathtub for like seven hours and my water is just like exploded all, all over the place. Like I immediately had the urge to push. He immediately started dropping. It was like so intense, just like the contraction of him like moving down. So I'm like, can someone please call the midwives and let them know for the eighth time tonight that this is happening? Like, <laughs> got myself into like a bigger space, like in a pool, like a birthing pool. And, and I was on my hands and knees. And yeah, still weren't there, still weren't there. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to check my own baby. So like reached inside and I, I felt his head, you know, his head was already part way out of my body, you know, and I'm still trying to like hold him. Like, I'm not like moving with the pushing in the way that I would, if I had just, if I could just have listened to my own body, it would have been, he probably would have been out already before they arrived. But when they got there, like I was in tabletop. It was like the only place I, that felt manageable, you know, but when I mean, they it got there,
0: pressure off of your back. And so it can drop yeah.
1: Yeah. Like,
0: your pain levels down. Actually, he was certainly moving himself out of my body
1: that way. Like, mm-hmm. but when I, when they got there, they said, okay, we need to check you. And I'm like, you know, in retrospect, it's like, I checked myself. <laughs> What's there to check? Also, you know, why can't like, you check me in this position? Why can't you check me on my hands and knees? Like, right. yeah, I'm right here. And also like, you're not going to reach my cervix because there's a fucking baby's head coming out of my body. Like, <laughs> you need to check me. I was so, like, in retrospect, I'm like, I can't even believe this conversation I was having, but it was like the procedures were like, we need to check you. So it got me out of the tub and laid me down on the couch. And I was like, oh my God, like my body was like shaking, moving there. Cause I'm like, I don't know if I can do that. Yeah. I haven't had like three or four people like helping me get down onto the couch in the way they wanted me to be. So she checked me and she's like, oh yeah, baby's coming. I'm like, yeah, no, fuck. And also she's listen like, to the pregnant lady telling you <laughs> what's happening. Like a midwife. I hired a home birth midwife for a reason. You said in the past, like you wanted to avoid tearing. And I just want to say like, it will be easier for me. help you avoid tearing if we go to your bed and you can lay on your back I was like scared I was so scared of tearing I don't I don't know why that was that was like my fear you know it's really scary it is scary and there's
0: like like, long-term issues from tearing yeah
1: I mean my mom my mom ripped all the way through fourth degree tear
0: you know but yeah the tear I mean you've got just to describe a tear to everyone (laughs) What is happening? <laughs> there is a superficial tear. It's very easily mended and it heals very quickly. And that's the one you're going for. And most women will have that to some degree. That's what I ended up having. Yeah. Lucky for you. Yeah. There are tears that go through all of the muscle layers Yeah, in the perineum and they can rip from the vaginal opening to your anus. Like that level of tearing... And the amount of time it takes to heal from that and the amount of nerve damage that can happen during a tear like that. For women who experience those kinds of tears, you're talking about like a lifetime of issues typically. Yeah, my mom
1: has a lifetime of issues because of that. I mean, I don't know what my outcome would have been had I not done that, but I'm just like following the, you know, the recommendations in the moment and game time. It's like, this is birthing time, you know? And it's like, you need to get on your back. But honestly, my baby was coming out of my body in, in his own terms and his own rhythm primarily until they got there. I almost want to say, thank goodness I was alone the whole time because like there was nothing else but me. And it was terrifying, you know, because like I wasn't planning on that. But like if I were to do it again, I would want to be alone. Like, <laughs> you know, I would I would probably have a midwife, but I. Would be able to trust myself, I think, a lot more knowing what I know now, just
0: going, being in my body about it. Of the 70s, there was this like resurgence in women to reclaim women's bodies mm-hmm. and this idea that birth is not a disease, death is not a disease. So how do we start to look at these two life experiences differently? The Average cesarean rate in the US currently is 31.7% nationwide. The highest cesarean rate in the country are in Louisiana at 36.8%. But the WHO, the World Health Organization, they have a range between 10 and 15%. As those numbers start to creep up from 10%, you're looking at more negative health outcomes for the mother under 10% you're looking at more negative health outcomes for the infant 10 to 15% should be the national average the CDC recognizes that 25.6% of cesarean sections in 2019 were low risk pregnancies that maybe didn't need to be cesarean And that's like a huge number. That's one in four women. The hard thing about this conversation is if you're a person who's had a cesarean, there was an urgency and an emergency associated in your mind with that cesarean. So how to know if you're the 10% that really needed it or you're the other percentage being pushed to have a procedure that didn't benefit you, benefited the medical community you were birthing in. And that's where it's still a really abusive mindset. If this wasn't abuse, we would be between 10 and 15%. This is a huge female rights issue. Uh, was it abuse? Or are you just lucky to have your baby? You don't get to have an opinion about this. Did you pay $500,000 for my medical degree? No. <laughs> There's no conversation. Mm-hmm.
1: Makes me think of our earlier conversations on the lady voice and like the box. Yeah. It's like being in a box with another person, you know, and like how we're just like so limited in that place. It makes me think of this too. It's like mm-hmm. box of birth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so cool. sad. It's like, so Here, here's what birth is supposed to be. This is what we've learned. It's supposed to be like, go to the hospital, get in your gown, you know, get monitored, take your epidural, like have no pain. It's okay. If you feel numb, that would make it all better. <laughs> Mm -hmm. you're just gonna have a good have a baby at the end it's gonna be great you know Mm -hmm. like that's the box and so in the same way that like we're limited by that box in relationships where there's no growth like same thing for birth Like there's no in that box there's no conversation to be had If you're considering birth for yourself or if you're close to a birthing person you know how can we like take them out of an objectified role of like, oh my gosh, you're pregnant,
0: you know, like the second, a woman is pregnant. She isn't a person anymore. Roe versus Wade is a thing because of that thing. Right. And right now Roe versus Wade is maybe about to become obsolete, which is the biggest tragedy. Truly. I mean, there's just so many tragedies in this part of like female rights. Once a woman is pregnant, she doesn't belong to herself anymore. She's like, um, belongs to the state. She belongs to her husband. She belongs to her church. She doesn't have a say anymore. And no one actually is caring about her experience. It's all about the fetus that is in her body. Everything becomes about the fetus, but not really. Because if it was really about the fetus, we would have plans in place to make sure that that fetus received optimal care. In Finland, a woman, when she's 22 weeks pregnant, gets a box, and in that box is 86 essential items that she will need to raise her child. From that point forward, she starts getting weekly home checks. She has a baby. She gets an education on what to expect during birth. She gets an education on Early childhood development, she gets postpartum checkups once a week for six weeks. A woman coming to her house to check up on her. And they have the best mortality outcomes of any country in the world. If this was really about the best outcome for the fetus, we would be taking care of the mother. We would be making sure that she was supported and we would be making sure that the baby was truly supported for its entire life. And that is not what the abortion debate is about in the U.S. The abortion debate is tied into many things, I believe. We need a lower class. Someone cannot become a billionaire if there is not a lower class. And the easiest way to reinforce a lower class is this. You're looking at the average age of a woman seeking abortion. She's under 25. So you're looking at different education levels, different socioeconomic status levels, and tends to be the lower socioeconomic class has less access to education around birth control. The poorly educated being the most likely group to need an abortion. That is where we're denying access. And so it is a socioeconomic issue. This isn't just about the church. It isn't about saving a soul. It's about structuring our class system. And people are like, we don't have a class system in the U.S. We have an upper class, a middle class, and a lower class. They're actually called classes. (laughs) And then the American dream is like, but no, everyone can get to middle class. Everyone can. No, they can't. It is not. Possible for everyone to be in middle class because that would put everyone in lower class. You need a lower class to be middle class. So then you're like punishing those who don't have the means to jump up a degree, right? And we're like, oh, but it's their choice. They are choosing this. They didn't take the proper steps because I was lower class when I was a kid and I made the right choices and did things. I hear this a lot actually. (laughs) You somehow managed to navigate a system that was actually set up against you. Good for you. I am happy for you. The average person who starts off in this lower class does not have the means or the education to jump out of it for so many different reasons. There is a million different reasons why this happens. It is designed this way. It is designed to be really hard to jump up from this level. To the next level and you can see that in middle class. how many people in middle class make it to the upper class so few less than 10 percent. It's really, really hard to jump out. and it does happen, but it is really, really hard to overcome. What is even harder is if you have a baby and you're working two jobs at minimum wage to support a kid because you have to put your child in daycare. And you're a single mom and you have no family, like, how are you going to get out of this class system? It is possible, but it is incredibly difficult. And it is why our abortion laws are the way they are. It is based on this idea that, again, or versus virgin, if you're a woman who chooses to be promiscuous outside of marriage, the burden's on you. This isn't about women who can afford to travel to a different state to get an abortion. This isn't about stopping abortion. This is about putting a cap on the middle class and making sure that we have a lower class that is maintained because it is incredibly necessary for capitalism. And you can turn it into a morality issue. But in 2021, the morality issue is obsolete. This is is off the table. There is nothing moral about 2022. (laughs) It's a fucking mess. (laughs) Well, it's like, okay... It's honestly this insane to me. You're looking at a cluster of cells that could develop into a full-fledged human being at some point, but at a certain point, there is no, it's just a cluster of cells. Stop romanticizing that. If you're going to romanticize a cluster of cells at six weeks in a woman's body, you definitely need to be romanticizing the infant that is here now and the mother who has no means to support it. We have zero education. Yes. It's mind blowing to me. What happens? I maybe have said this in podcasts. What happens if we teach early childhood development and sex ed in high school together, like real sex ed, basic biological facts to people about their bodies and their reproductive mechanisms? <laughs> what if it was just science? <laughs> And then we're teaching early childhood development in high school. And then we make a mandatory in every college, early childhood education class. So that when you do have a child, you have an idea of what is happening psychologically for your infant and toddler. What would happen if people actually understood the person they made at the time they made their person? (laughs) Like, could that just change everything over the course of a couple of generations? that information would be there. And especially for people who are having children younger, who are the ones who need the education. The younger you are, the more education you need on how to navigate life. And you need it quicker because you're having a condensed experience where if you were like 35 having a baby, you've had some life experience to be like, oh, okay, I'm understanding this. I've seen more people do this that were my peers, right? If you're like jumping into things really quickly, There's nothing wrong with that, but you need a quicker education. You need more information quicker. And if we had these two classes as mandatory classes, one in high school, one in college, you would have some of the education that you needed to navigate having a child. We don't actually educate women on what they need to be educated around, what's happening in their body, what to expect. It's like something, again, you have to seek out this information, but you're like, well, I go to my doctor and my doctor tells me what's going on. That's why I have a doctor. And it's like, no, that's not actually what your doctor's doing. Just like the story you shared earlier, the doctor didn't come in and educate that woman about her options or even what the elevated heart rate could mean. It just, that woman came into the room with her medical degree. I am the expert. We probably need to do this because I'm on a tight crunch. Be really scared right now.
1: Right. That's not helpful. Penny Simpkin, that she kind of has this concept of the birth plan, which is now like really popular, you know, but she like really put it out there of like every person, every birthing person person should have a birth plan. Mm -hmm. And it's like, the idea is that you really identify all of the possible options that could happen when you're in the birthing room. And you get really clear about what your boundaries are. And you say, This is what I want. Like, and she gives a really great like structure for like what questions to consider and for what it is that you want. And I love that because it's like they're all the things that we're not going to talk about in the average birthing class, you know, they're all the things that you would never know unless you read a book about it, like a more progressive book about it, or like saw a friend go through it by chance, you know, but you still probably don't even know what's going on. But it's like, okay, you have the right. It's like learning your rights. Like you have the right to say no to fetal monitoring. You mm-hmm. don't, you don't have to do that. You don't have to be strapped to anything. What are my other options besides an epidural? Cause there are other options besides mm-hmm. an epidural. If you want like some pain relief, like if you need to be induced for whatever reason, oftentimes like you don't need to be induced, but it's being pushed on you. Like, Hey, you're getting pretty close to 41 weeks, you know. 42 weeks is like really unsafe. And it's like not true, but like you know what I mean, like generally. But like, okay, time to be induced. It's like people don't know this information, like about what is actually safe, what is actually okay, what is actually the container for birth because it's way bigger than what the medical community suggests. And so when you walk into like a birthing room at a hospital, generally there's just this set of like Standards, you know, that are like, all right, time to strap you up. Okay, time to shoot you up with pitocin. You know, it's like, do you even know what pitocin is doing to your body? So do you even know how it interrupts the birth process? If it's just like, okay, here we go. You know, it's like usually so poorly administered or not appropriately appropriately administered that it's like there's too much, and then mm-hmm. you're in severe pain. Do so you really need that epidural? Mm-hmm. Like, if it's administered well and you really need it. Like it can be magical, like just, you know, just the right amount, can, like yeah. help you start to move, you know, but it's like, that's not usually how it goes. And so I think if like, we don't know these things, we don't know what our rights are. We don't know what questions to ask in the birthing room. And I think like, if we could access that kind of information, it's like, just, first of all, just so sad that we have to try to dig for
0: this information. And it's so inaccessible. Like mm-hmm. it's so difficult to find I know uh, quite a few women who've walked in with their birth plan and it's literally like torn out the door. Like, uh, that's what you thought was going to happen. Here's what's also like, if you're not feeling
1: respected by your provider, you have options. So you don't have to do that. You don't have
0: to stay. But most women have this belief that they're in danger giving birth. You're walking into a scenario with the worst outcome being thrown at you constantly and a timer on your cervix. <laughs> and cervix works with sphincter law. If you can't poop in public, you're going to really struggle giving birth in hospital. You're going to struggle to relax and let go and move in and go through this process. Every birth is different. It has its own timeline. You cannot control it. You, It is not controllable. <laughs> it is a relationship between a mother the fetus the hormones that the fetus is releasing into the mother's bloodstream do you know that birth is stimulated by a release of a hormone in the fetus that is released in the baby when the lungs are ready to breathe air the average birth that is when that happens like the lungs are ready to come out (laughs) It's like so incredible. I know. <laughs> so, so you get induced early. Your baby's lungs might not be up to par. And actually, look at how many babies need oxygen when they're born. Induction also, like we have to think about, like,
1: is like it has to be used well. That's that, yes. that's the problem. Like these interventions have to be used well, and like so often they're not because, like, like you're saying, it's the sphincter law. Like with birth, it is you have to like, feel like safe. with induction, your body is being told to do something that it may not be ready to do on an internal level. Like your muscles may not be prepared for this. You know, mm-hmm. you in your, your whole system may not be ready quite yet. And in those conditions, that's when things go awry. That's mm-hmm. when things become really problematic. And so it's misused so frequently. And that's why we have such bad birth outcomes in this country.
0: Our statistics are only about death, which is so morbid. How many women are, you just said your mom, my mom struggled from birth, like her entire life. How many women struggle after giving birth for their entire lives? That is not a statistic anywhere because no one has cared to figure that out. We do not have postpartum care to the degree that it needs to be present in our medical community. This is not even an afterthought. (laughs) Get a doula. I know it's expensive. I think it's really ridiculous that insurance companies don't cover doulas as they are shown to reduce medical costs. Like they would save insurance companies money. I think that
1: there are a lot of like you know birthing people oftentimes have partners and those partners tend to have opinions about how much things are going to cost and influence the choices that birthing people might make for themselves and you know logistically sure like i get i wish that finances weren't such a huge part of like giving birth in this country it's like so sad mm-hmm. but like what as a birthing person like what can you do to protect yourself (laughs) what can you do to like really advocate for yourself and finding the support that you need to like have a healthier birth experience for yourself does that mean like if you can't afford a doula does that mean going to like a friend who's more comfortable with with birth most comfortable friend you have with birth like Mm -hmm will you be there for me? Will you research this with me? Will you study with me? Like, will you advocate for me when I am terrified and don't right. know what to say? So yeah. it's the most vulnerable position to be in, to be laying naked on a bed with all these professionals telling you what to do and telling you, you might die <laughs> <laughs> or, or that your baby might die or that you're in danger, or that, that this is scary. Or now's the time to make a choice. Like have someone there who you trust. That's Maybe, probably not your partner because your partner is deeply like emotionally involved in this and they may or may not have like opinions that you agree with, you know, they might be terrified of your pain. So like find somebody who can be there with you like through like through thick and thin, like who is your best person to be there for you and who can just be a witness and someone who like like can see you through the most like expansive experience of your life because oftentimes in this case it's not going to be your partner
0: yeah it's like the person who can help you come back to you yeah that's like what a doula is trying to do not make a decision for you it is reminding you that you are not you're not an object (laughs) yeah you're not a victim you're not an object here like you You have a a choice Mm -hmm.
1: clearly we have a lot to say about birth and the lady voice. (laughs) Thanks for joining.